Um, so the Lord woke me up. Um, it was probably a couple of months ago now, um, and it doesn't all the time happen to me, but you know, there are times when the Lord will wake me up, and typically he wakes me up with something really profound. But a couple of months ago, and I love that, and it feels good, and I get this like, moment to interact with the Lord, um, but uh, a couple of months ago, the Lord woke me up out of my sleep, and uh, I heard him say, eat up. And I'm like, you know, being the super holy spiritual person, right, I turned to the Lord and I said, Lord, do you know what time it is? Right? And he didn't so much seem to care about that. Um, but, you know, so I, I turned to him and I'm like, oh, you know, like, what? What? What are you trying to say, Lord? Because, you know, you got to remember at this point, this, like, my brain is pre-coffee, okay? And so it's moving at about, like, the speed of sloth, Right? It doesn't really go anywhere. Like sometimes in the morning, I'll be, you know, getting ready and getting our breakfast ready in the morning, and I'm trying to peel hard-boiled eggs, right? You ever tried to peel a hard-boiled egg with, before you drink coffee, right? It's like my brain knows exactly how I'm supposed to do it, but it's like my fingers can't quite figure out how to pick the pieces of the show. It's just bad news. And, and this is how I was feeling that morning a couple of months ago. And, you know, and so the Lord, sa- he says it to me again. He says, you know, eat up. I'm like, okay, Lord, I have no idea what you're trying to say here. You're going to need to help me to sort of make sense of this. And, you know, God sometimes is like, you know, that annoying friend, right? Everybody had one of those. When you go to a sleepover and it's Saturday morning and like you just want to sleep in so bad and you have that annoying friend who wakes up at like 6 a.m. and like wants to like really start the day and he wants to live, okay? You know, you want to be like, oh, shut up. But then you realize, wait a minute, this is God. And so I can't really say shut up to him. But that was how I was feeling this morning. I'm feeling like, you know, I have no idea what you're trying to say. And, you know, finally, you know, I kind of am groggy and I roll over and I'm like, okay, God, what is it that you want me to eat this morning? Like, I'm not getting it. And as I ask him that question, he reminds me of the first time that I went on a cruise, okay? It was such a fun experience. But one of the things that was really funny about us going on this cruise um, was, you know, they had all these amazing fancy dinners, okay? So you had your choice of like, eight or nine different restaurants. And if you've been on a cruise, you know what it's like. It's just as much as you can eat, and it's good food. It, you know, you, got, you have steak, there's chicken, there's risotto, there's lamb, there's delicious food all around. And conceptually, you know that it's all-inclusive, okay? But you're reading all these really nice items on the menu, and so I'm kind of thinking to myself, is it actually all-inclusive, or do they kind of feel like, you know, a normal person would only eat one steak dinner at a time? And so they kind of don't specify that, right? Do you, does anybody like to eat? No? Okay. Well, I was asking myself this question when I was up there because I'm thinking, how do we do this? And so for the first couple of days as I was on this cruise, um, you know, I'm, I'm eating in moderation, not because I want to, okay, but because I truthfully don't know the rules. I don't know if I ask for two steak dinners, are they going to look at me like I'm a fool, okay? I don't know. And so I'm kind of nervous about asking, and so I just don't ask because I don't want them to be like, oh, you fat pig, you know, don't eat two steak dinners, okay? That was a joke. You're probably not going to say fat pig. They're actually really nice on there, okay? But then there was this moment, right, where we discovered that all-inclusive actually meant all-inclusive. And this is a bad moment. This is the moment when, if I could have seen in the future, I'd realize that I'd have to buy all new clothes. But after multiple appetizers, salad, two mains, three desserts, just for myself, right, I realized that all-inclusive actually meant all-inclusive. 
I mean, one night, Mike and I, we went from eating dinner at one restaurant, and we decided to get dessert at another restaurant, and in the process of getting dessert, we ordered a whole other steak dinner, okay? <laughs> so, I mean, this was, this was bad news, okay? We were, you know, we, we definitely whatever. I mean, it got to the point that it was so bad that it'd be like 11 o'clock, and we're eating beef sliders as like a bedtime snack, okay? <laughs> like, this whole thing got really bad, and you know, and I'm, I'm laughing about it with the Lord because I'm remembering all these good times. And the Lord said to me, that's what I did for you on the cross. And I'm thinking, Lord, you maybe gained 10 pounds on the cross? No, that wasn't what he was talking about. What he said to me was, is that he gave us, me, access to whatever we want. And the only person that limits is myself. That... God has done everything he needed to do in order to make sure that I had the ability or the right that as he died on the cross and stretched forth his arms and said, it's finished, rose again, released to me the resurrection power, it was the doorway for me to enter into a place where I could live in the land of more than enough. I'm here to give you some good news this morning. That same power is available to each and every one of you. When Jesus died on the cross and rose again, yes, he was doing great things. Yes, he was a great man. Yes, he was buying us back so we could go to heaven. But I'm here to tell you this morning, he did a whole lot more than just that, right? He bought us back so that we could not only experience the goodness of God in our life to come in heaven, but that we could also experience the goodness of God in the life that we're living right now that there is a victory that he did for us, that he fought, that he did battle so that we could live in a place where we could experience sweatless victory, that whatever I can believe in, I can access in my life. And so, you know, as, as, I, as I, the Lord is talking to me this morning and as I'm listening to him, my response to him out of this as he's talking to me is, you know, like, Lord, why is it then that so many people, myself included, why do we live so limited? And he said this to me. He said, it's not that you have to. You don't have to live limited. But if you don't on purpose try to change what you believe, right, limitation rests on us even though it doesn't have to. And so as I was thinking about this and, and thinking about what the Lord was saying in this, it, it reminded me of the scripture that Paul wrote in Philippians 3, 7 to 10. You could turn there if you want to. If you don't, that's okay. But he says this in this scripture. He says, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I've counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all these things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Right? We're seeing in this passage as Paul is pouring out his heart we're beginning to discover how in, in view of Christ, every good thing to him seems as though it's nothing. And I, and I want you to know that Paul was not some beggar, right? He wasn't just some guy, you know, who was living in the slums. And, you know, now that he has a little bit in Christ, it's like, oh my gosh, my life is so great. No, that wasn't Paul's story. 
right? The scripture says that Paul was, you know, he was from the family of all families. He was the guy of all guys, right? He was being mentored by, you know, the top head priest. This is a guy who had prestige. He had status. I'm sure he had money as a result of it. And as he looks now in his understanding of knowing Christ, he says that, yes, I've been to the top of all of those mountains, but I'm here to tell you something, that in view of all that Christ has done in me and through me and all that I know about him, all of those things that I was, that I thought made me great, are literally rubbish compared to what I know about Christ. And he said this, and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith and the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. This is what I want to focus on this morning. He makes this statement, and he says, that I may know him and the power of res- his resurrection and in the fellowship of his sufferings. You know, what I discovered from reading this is that Paul found a secret. He discovered something, you know, in his, in his relationship with God, I want to say, but, but, I mean, Paul never actually met Jesus. Right? It wasn't like he had a couple of sleepovers and now he's got like a bro crush on Jesus and he's like, yo, everything is nothing compared to my bro Jesus, okay? He never met Jesus. He didn't know him, okay? There's no reference that he ever came into contact with him. But what Paul experienced Jesus, I'm here to tell you, the exact same way that we can experience here today. The same power, the same God, the same Holy Spirit that made Jesus come alive on the inside of Paul is the same Jesus that wants to meet you here this morning. The same Jesus that wants to take you into a deeper revelation. And so Paul discovered the secret about knowing Jesus, and he said that everything else in life is absolutely worthless in comparison to, the, to, to what I have discovered about life and about going forward and my future, that everything in my past is literally, it's dead to me. It means less than nothing. It's like the trash, like the banana peel that you throw in the trash can, right? It's literally like it was here a moment and now it's gone. And for the rest of your life, you think absolutely nothing of it because it meant so little. That's what he's saying about the prestige that he got in the world compared to him knowing Jesus. And I was thinking about this, you know, I'm thinking, you know, it was probably that Paul, you know, he was just trying to be like, you know, hyper-religious to really like, you know, ooh, pump up the Philippians, you know. Or maybe he was trying to like one-up the other Pharisees, right, because they're all like, oh, you know, we love Jesus. And Paul's like, no, I love him more, you know, compared to everything. He's just trying to, but, but that's not what Paul was doing. And as I began to talk to the Lord about the scripture, I realized that he found a secret. And that secret is, is that there is power that comes from knowing Jesus. Like this was Paul's statement. He says that in comparison to everything that I've been through, it's nothing compared to knowing Jesus. Because when I met Jesus, the scripture says, he discovered something. He discovered the power that's available to us because of the resurrection that Jesus went through to come back to earth. That there is a power now that's available to us that would make anything that we could do in our natural strength or ability literally meaningless. And he discovered this, right? He discovered that if we can believe, if you can believe, all things, the scripture says, are possible to you. I don't care what situation you're in. I don't care what you're facing. 
I don't care what the doctor said, your lawyer said, what your banker said. I'm here to tell you that Jesus said all things are possible if we can just believe. If you can believe, mountains will move. If you can believe, situations will change. And so Paul discovers this, and as I was thinking about this, right, right, you would ask me this question, right? So Pastor Alex, how do I experience the resurrection power of God? Great question. Thank you for asking. Okay. So when Jesus was here, after he was resurrected from the grave, uh, he, he was on earth for a very brief period of time where he met with probably up to about 500 people, right? I think that was the max. And in this process, he gave, it was kind of like his reminder, right? He spent three years on the earth and he was really teaching people, you know, but maybe he, you know, he went to the cross and they all bolted and he's thinking, shoot, these guys, they really didn't learn anything in the three years that I was here. So he kind of gave him like a crash course, right? In the process of him being resurrected from the dead and him going to heaven, he releases these secrets and these keys to us. And I believe that as we apply these very simple things, uh, it will cause us to step into this resurrection power that Jesus has purchased for us, okay? And so the first thing is you have to accept, okay, you can write these things down because I'm not Jesus, but this was Jesus. And they may seem trivial to you, okay, but they are not. The first thing is we have to accept that Jesus wants to be with us. In every situation and everything that you do, he wants to be with you. He doesn't want to be with you to condemn you. He doesn't want to be with you to judge you. He wants to be with you so that he can help you make your life better. Okay? Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17, 21. He said this. He says, Father, I desire that they would be one with you like I am one with you. Jesus' prayer for us was that we would live and experience the exact same thing, the exact same connection, the exact same power, the exact same access to heaven that Jesus experienced when he was here on earth. His prayer was, Father, this is what I want. I want the rest of the people that come behind me to experience, have the same access to you that I would have access to. Jesus came and opened up a door for us to live in and experience everything that he experienced. Another scripture says it like this, that we would do greater things than Jesus did. Not the same things, not meh, kind of good things, not like Jesus is way out there and like we're way back here. No, he's saying that in the end days, what's going to happen is you're going to do things and you're going to have access to things that even Jesus didn't do while he was here on the earth. That we would do things that Jesus didn't, maybe didn't even dream about doing. What? He desires that we would live and be in communion with him. Jesus did that for us, right? Matthew 6.33 says it like this, that if we would seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these things would be added unto us. You know, I was, it was actually taking a bath the other day, and the Lord was talking to me about the scripture, and we were kind of just talking about it together, and he was saying this to me. He was saying, you know, Alex, 
you need to seek first the kingdom of God. And I'm like, Lord, I definitely do. Like, I love people, and I love what you're doing, and, you know, I'm definitely seeking first. And the Lord kept saying that to me. You need to seek first the kingdom of God. And, 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 and I'm going back and forth with him, and he's starting to kind of make me feel bad because I'm feeling like maybe I'm not doing this. And this is like a silent review kind of thing. Like, he doesn't want to make me feel bad, but he's actually, like, really bummed with me. And he kept saying that to me, seek first the kingdom of God. And then he asked me this question, what is the kingdom of God? And he reminded me of Mark 4, how the, the Mark 4 talks to us about this concept that, you know, the kingdom of God, that it's like a seed, right? And we know from my dad doing all of his brilliant teaching that really the kingdom of God is understanding that when that seed, when the truth of God gets on the inside of us, that it unlocks for us the potential and the power of God that we can do and experience anything that we desire to do. Jesus, what? Wants to be with you. He wants to put truth in your heart. He wants to get rid of all the things on the inside of you that would make you feel like you're not good enough. You can't do it well enough. All the limiting factors that would try to make you feel like you can't live the life that he promised you that you would live, that you could never attain or do the desires or the dreams that are on the inside of you. No, he came so that we would know that we can be close to him. And because we're close to him and we hear his words, John 15 says that we'll have access, that if we will just ask and believe that God will do it on the inside of us. The second thing I believe that Jesus said was in John 20, 29. He said this. He said, blessed are those who believe, but they don't see. You know, for a long time, you know, he says this to Thomas. Okay, we saw a little bit in the clip right there. He said that to Thomas because Thomas was like, no, I don't, I don't believe it, right? You saw it in there. He's like, Jesus is risen. And Thomas is like, no, I don't believe it. It's, this definitely didn't happen. Right, and then Jesus comes to him and he says that, you know, Thomas, you know, blessed are those who believe and they don't see. You know, for a long time, I thought that this was Jesus' rebuke. You know, I'm thinking, you know, Thomas didn't believe and now Jesus is just like getting a dig in there, right? He's like, you little guy, oh, you're not blessed because, but then I realized to myself, wait a minute, Jesus would never do that. The loving, kind nature of God, he wasn't trying to like, you know, prove him wrong or like give him this silent dig. But I realized what Jesus was doing was he was giving us a key on how we can live in the resurrection life of what he did. So what's he saying? You, are, you will be blessed if you can believe something even when you don't see it. I tell you something, in our culture today, what I've discovered is that this is probably the most challenging thing that we will do. Our emotions, okay, situations, love to try to dictate to us and tell us what the truth is. We get the doctor's report or we get the bank statement and what happens? Our emotions flare up, we get bugged or bothered, right? we see the facts and what? Our emotions, our senses, the realities of this world speak to us the truth more than the truth that God has given to us in his word. So what was Jesus saying? He was saying, Thomas, he was telling it to me, Alex, you will be blessed. That there's nothing that could stop the blessing that I desire to pour into your life. If what? You can believe in my word even when everything in your life seems to be contrary to what you are expecting. 
So when the bill comes in the mail and you're looking at it and, you know, it's way more than you expected and yet in the midst of it, you don't respond negatively, but you say, God, I believe that you are my provider and that you'll provide all of my needs. What happens to us now? I tap into and access the resurrection life of God that begins to step in on the seed and what? Produce the blessing of God in my life. Let me tell you something. The only thing that can stop the blessing of God from getting to you is our negative expectation, our negative emotions, our negative thoughts. I tell you, there is nothing. God is busy trying to get you into the place of your promise. He is busy trying to get the promise of God and the blessing of God. He is busy trying to get healing and health and restoration to you in every area of your life. He's busy doing that. And all we have to do is simple. Can we just believe? The last thing, number three, is this. And Jesus actually says this to John in Revelation. So this was kind of after he was gone, but still Jesus. He said this in Revelation 21.5, and this is probably my favorite scene from the Passion. The first time I saw it, like I was so overwhelmed by what I was watching that this was the only scene that made me cry, and, and I'm sure it made all of you cry because it was, it was so beautiful. You know, it was, Jesus was walking through the alley and he was carrying the cross, and he starts to stumble you know, does everybody remember this part? And Mary has like this flashback of when Jesus was a young boy and he's running and he stumbles, right? <laughs> You're all going to cry, right? Just bring it. Okay, that's how I feel. But he like stumbles and falls, right, in this moment. And she like runs to him. You know how she's like really flailing because she's like really running after him. And she picks him up and, and, you know, it flashes back to the scene with him carrying the cross and she sees him stumble. And she has the same response, right? She runs to him and she wants to help him. And Jesus looks to her, and the line is quoting this, the scripture in Revelation 21.5 where he said this, I make all things new. You see, the third step to stepping into your life is you have to let the past go. I think so often what happens to us in Christianity is, is we try to step into the resurrection life, but we're trying to bring our backpack of past failures in with us. But we get so desperate to try to get Jesus to fix all the problems in the past when Jesus said to us, it's not about the past. It's not about all the times that you messed up or that you failed. It's not about all the times that you should have did something, but you didn't do it. No, Jesus said he makes all things new. There's another scripture in uh, 2 Corinthians 5. What, that says that we are, we are new creations. We're new creatures in Christ. What, that the old has passed away and he's made all things new. I'm here to tell you this morning that you aren't trying to make up for your past failures. You're not trying to get God's affection for you. You're not trying to get him to forgive you. He's already made you a new creation, a new creature in Christ. That his desire is that we would move forward and stop taking a look at what's happened behind us. You guys can release the communion, right? That it's time for us to let go of those past things because I believe that as forward from this place, what God is asking us to do is to step into the resurrection life of Jesus. 
that yes, maybe you have made mistakes in the past, and yes, maybe you have tried and failed, and yes, maybe even you've stepped out in faith believing that God was gonna do something, and in the end of the situation, it seemed like nothing happened. I'm here to tell you this morning, as the communion is being passed out, that it's time this morning that we make a choice to accept the newness of the person that God made us. Because you see, this is what this communion is all about. This communion isn't just something that because we're supposed to. Jesus said that we are to do this in remembrance of him. That as I take this bread in my hand and, and I remember the brokenness of his body and as I take this cup and I remember the blood that he shed for me, what is it? I allow myself to remember what Jesus did so that I could live in the promise. You were destined to live in the promise. You were born to win. So this morning, I'm just going to ask that you do that before we take communion, that you would just allow yourself to recall the promise of God. Maybe there was things that he asked you to do. Maybe there were things that you stepped out because you knew he was, he was, he was calling you in a direction and it just never seemed to work out the way it was supposed to work out. Heavenly Father, I'm just asking this morning that you would Lord, as we take these elements, as we take the bread and as we drink what the, the symbolism of your blood, God, that it would wash past failures, that it would wash past disappointments, God, that it would remind us of your goodness and your mercy, but it would remind us of everything that you promised to us. You were born to win. You were born to succeed. You were never meant to live a natural day. So whenever you're ready, you can just take the, 